Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. I want to begin this morning by expressing my gratitude to the uh, elders, to the staff, uh, and to all of you uh, for the last 90 days uh, that our family has gotten to enjoy before making this transition uh, during sabbatical. Uh, It has been a, a, a godsend to us, and I know not everyone gets that opportunity. But our family is grateful. I just want to express that uh, as I begin this morning. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Let us pray together. Oh God, you are our God. And earnestly we seek you. We long for you as people of the desert. Long for water in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, you've sustained us through the ages. You've been faithful through the ups and the downs. God, I ask this morning once more that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, what would I preach if I had one last message to give? That was the question that was rumbling through my mind over the last 90 days. Now, we never know when it's our last message to give, our last day on earth. I hope there will be days in the future where I'll get to preach again. I'm sure there will. But this is my last time to preach here at the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ as your lead minister. And as I thought about that, I realized there's really just one message that I want to give. And I actually found that message by looking back to the first time I preached on this stage seven years ago. And so what I'm sharing with you is really, in many ways, just a repeat of the first thing I said to you that many years ago. So that's what I'm going to do. And many of you have come since August of 2014. Some of you have come the last uh, 90 days and you're wondering, who is this guy up here? And uh, I just want to say that whether you were here or not, I'm sure nobody remembers this message. But I hope you'll in some way come away with this message as a reminder of who God is in uncertain times and in certain times. Who do you believe God is? It's the most fundamental and important question that we can answer. So I've got a test for you this morning that I think will help you determine that if it doesn't come to mind automatically. In the book of Luke, Peter uh, promises Jesus that he's not going to deny Jesus. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He says, no, I will die before I deny you. And here's the scene that follows. If you have your Bibles, open with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. This is the scene that follows that prophecy by Jesus. Verse 54, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. 
A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little uh, later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him for he's a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now now back to verse 61. The rooster crows and the text says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Now imagine yourself as Peter, if you would impetuous Peter, Peter who walks on the water and then falls into the water, Peter who over and over again struggles as he's a disciple of Jesus. Imagine yourself as Peter, you've guaranteed Jesus that you would not deny him. And yet here you are, the rooster has crowed, and then, and then Jesus, now you're Peter, right? Jesus turns his head and he looks straight at you. What's the look on Jesus' face? I want you to imagine it right now. You're Peter. What is the look on Jesus' face when he turns and he looks at you in this moment? Do you have it? And I want to suggest to you that whatever look is on Jesus' face is the clearest picture of who you see God as. Is the look angry? Is the look disappointed? It's a look filled with mercy. Now, you supplied the look. I didn't. (laughs) And actually, it was your theology that gave you the look, your understanding of God. And this morning, I want to challenge that look on Jesus' face. I want to make sure it aligns with the God described in the Scriptures. Which takes us to the next story that I want to read this morning from Luke chapter 15. This is the story I will go to on my deathbed, knowing this is who the God the Father is. It's the clearest picture I think Scripture gives us. Jesus tells the story because, well, there's religious people at the time who misunderstand who God was. They were judging Jesus for hanging out and eating of all things with sinners. And they didn't believe God was actually as good as God is. So they tried to use judgment to control Jesus. So Jesus tells them three stories, and I want to read the third of those stories this morning. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, whether you're a lost son or daughter who questions whether God can actually receive you home or whether you're a religious person who's fearful about accepting sinners into your midst, like the people Jesus told the story to, don't miss the point of this story. The Father wants you back. The Father is willing to go to great lengths to welcome you home. The Father waits for your return, not so he can berate you or shame you or stand over you while you beg for forgiveness at his feet. There are no exceptions to his welcome. No conditions. I know in this story, the third one, he turns around and we want to tell ourselves, well, it takes that turnaround, right? But what's interesting is the first two stories that Jesus tells in this setting The coin doesn't do anything to be found. It's the one who searches who goes after that coin. The same is true about the sheep, if you remember that story, right? Sheep is lost. And Jesus leaves the 99 people who were okay to go and find the one who was lost. It's God who is on the hunt for us. The father makes it as easy as possible for the son to return home because that's who God is. God is filled with grace. God is full of mercy and he's got a table that he wants filled. It's my last time to address you all. And that's what I want you to know. Because too many of us, we wind up in our older years or on our deathbed and we question, were we good enough? That's somehow what we produce so often. But I want to assure you, God is full of love and mercy. The God of the prodigal son, that father, wants you back, wants to welcome you home. And religion can sometimes make you feel like you have to be good enough for God's love. That's hogwash. It couldn't be further from the truth. The father in this story isn't better than God. The father in this story is God. And he's that good. And that leads me to share one last word with you that I want to encourage Greenville Oaks to be in the days ahead. But to get there, I need to take another read through scripture. This is actually the first scripture I read to you seven years ago from this stage. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 15. At this point in the, in, in the book of Acts, the ch- early church is not the perfect picture of the church we read about in Acts 2. They're no longer together and have everything in common. They've had problems feeding all the widows, showing favoritism. Had problems with that Ananias and Sapphira story. They've had problems. They're struggling. The early joy of the church had turned into division. And it's all around the topic of who is welcomed into their community. 
could they allow the Gentiles to enter their church? And if they do, what did these Gentiles have to do in order to be welcomed as Christians? There's some who are teaching a, a very restrictive view. They're pushing for this. Uh, Acts 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the unbelievers, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. But Peter, <laughs> Peter challenges that foolishness. This is his counter-argument in verse 10. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He gets fired up in this moment, protecting the nature of the gospel and the Father that we read about just a moment ago. He says, you're telling me that the same law that you haven't ever been able to keep yourself, you're going to put a yoke around these new people who are trying to find Jesus? Why would you do that? What gives you the idea that you're supposed to be God's bouncers when you can't even keep the law yourselves? This is a big decision that they're making in Acts 15. It's the kind of decision that missionaries all over the world have to make every day. It's what is essential to the gospel. What can be changed based on culture? There are questions they're struggling with. There's questions we're struggling with. And let's not forget that missionaries aren't just people we send to third world countries. We are missionaries, right? We're still in this task of struggling with Scripture and trying to figure out how do we welcome the people who are coming to Jesus? We're missionaries. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament, and the question for the early church is how many of these laws are still essential and applicable? Then James spoke up. James, the brother of Jesus. He's the key leader of the early church. And little does James know that what he says here will impact the church for generations to come. And I want you to look at what he says in Acts 15, verse 13 and following. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. And verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And this is the word I want to leave with you. Collin County needs a group of people who commit themselves to not make it difficult for everyone who wants to turn to Jesus. And we do this not because it's an invention of our own making. It's because it reflects the God that we have been welcomed so well by. Our Father has not made it difficult for us to be called sons and daughters. So we extend that same welcome to those who are trying to find Jesus. Keep it simple for them to find the abundant life. Don't get in their way. Be the church that welcomes sinners. This isn't a moment for the church to, to lean into nostalgia or for political power grabs, as many are choosing to do. This is a moment for the church to extend its arms and to welcome all a place at the table.
forgot a piece as I was coming up this morning that I wanted to share with you. It's actually something that was with me. My, my first sermon here, uh, I got it that week because uh, I thought it illustrated this well my first week, an easy button. I don't know if you remember this from Staples commercials. My first Sunday here, I had this up on, on stage, and, and you remember what it says? It says, that was easy. Yeah, that was easy. And if there's an image I could leave with you, I think that's what Acts 15, 19 is trying to say. In the midst of trying to figure out how do we welcome people into this story that we've been welcomed into so well, in the midst of trying to figure out who is God and in all of this, there's this reminder from the prodigal son to say, this is the God who comes with open arms to welcome you home. You have been welcomed into this family. Thanks be to God. And it's our job to extend that same easy button to others. Come, if you want to follow Jesus, come and find the abundant life. You have a chance in this season to be that kind of church. To follow the example of God who made it easy for us to follow him. To follow the example of the early church who made it easy for the Gentiles who were turning to God. I encourage you to go and do it. Make it as easy as you can for people to find Jesus. Let us pray as we close. God, I'm grateful for this opportunity this morning to share my heart. And I know it's the heart of these leaders as well. To be a church in this time and in this season that engages the gospel, that reaches far and wide through Collin County and beyond. To share the good news of who you are in the midst of the doubts we have about ourselves, God. So I pray that you would continue to walk with this church family that has meant so much to our family. In these years to come, bring the the voice that's needed, God, for this next season. And I pray your richest blessings over this place. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.